Gracious and loving God. Man, we are grateful for the opportunity to gather as a, a group of believers and just praise you for who you are and what you've done. You, you've set us free from bondage to sin and death and you've called us into new life with Christ where living has a whole new meaning. But, but God, the, the culture has a strong pull on us. You know that. The, the temptation of the world looms large and entices us into to moving from lives of service to lives of self-centeredness. We're mindful of the many ways in which we have so easily turned our back on you. And so, God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, just turn us around. Open our hearts and our minds to receive the truth of your word that we may once again walk in your ways. Help us to take the risk of, of looking within ourselves and looking beyond ourselves to the joy that awaits us. Give us hearts of courage and strength for the task which lie ahead. Give us boldness to serve you and to serve your people without hesitation. God, cleanse our spirits. Make us truly ready to be your disciples. And that's not just our prayer for us, God. It's, it's our prayer for the nation, really. That you would begin a great spiritual awakening that leads people out of darkness and into the light. That the Holy Spirit would blow across this land and draw all people unto you. We will continue to be a nation divided until we see things the way that you do. And so, God, we ask that you open our eyes. God, we ask that your healing hand be with those who are facing a surgery or recovering from one or waiting on test results. We pray for those that are emotionally drained or spiritually confused or professionally lost. God, just help them overcome any fears of darkness with the laser light of Christ's presence and promises. And God, we give you thanks this morning for Fellowship Bible Church and Pastor Jason and his family and the staff and what they're doing for the cause of Christ here in Cabin. Just continue to use them as instruments of your grace. And be with us, God, as a body of believers looking to you for guidance and direction. Just speak to us in a clear and certain way this morning so that we know what the next step is, what we need to be doing. And now, God, we just ask that you hear us collectively Pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples when he said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. All right, guys. So I failed to say who I was earlier, and you hadn't seen me in a while, I don't think. I hadn't preached in like five weeks. Because of our last series, we had different organizations coming in and sharing a witness about what they were doing out in the community. I love that series. We get to learn a lot. We see what God is doing out there and how we can help, how we can partner with other ministries, and so it's, that's been good. But my name's Stephen Dickinson, the lead pastor here. We're starting a new series today called Belong, and I've added a tagline to it of It Just Means More. So for all of you SEC fans out there, you know what I did. I stole their tagline that it just means more and put it on, on Belong. Because when you, when you join or, or you commit or you decide uh, that this is the church where I'm going to be. I'm going to plant some roots, right? I'm, I'm going to serve. I'm going to learn. I'm going to give. I'm going to pray. I'm going to love. I'm going to allow God to, to change my life in this local congregation. When you do that, 
then local church membership just means more. And there's a lot of churches in town. We love every single one of them. We all have the same message of salvation, but we're all um, a little unique in our personalities. Every congregation is a little different, um, but at the heart of every congregation is Christ. And, And while the general public or the world out there thinks that our differences really separate us, that's what they focus on, I believe our differences make us stronger and more effective for the cause of Christ. I mean, we're, we're all reaching different people that, that we couldn't reach by ourselves. And, and the fact that other churches do things or they've been called to focus on areas that we haven't is evidence to me that God is using us, all of us, for something that we can't comprehend or understand. God knows what needs to be done in His kingdom, and if we'll all just listen and obey to the Holy Spirit, then His kingdom will come. And so we're using this series and really this whole month uh, to talk about church membership. So if you're visiting with us today, um, you may not know that we're we're a new church. Uh, We began meeting in this very room seven months ago. And ever since then, we've just kind of been figuring a lot of things out, trying not to overcomplicate a simple message from Jesus. And one of the things that, that we haven't addressed yet is local church membership. And so this series is designed to help us understand what it really means to be a member of a local congregation. And there are, are there certain things revealed in the New Testament that are expected, even required, of those who claim to follow Jesus Christ. Um, and the biggest requirement, really, um, and, and this is really the only requirement for church membership, is baptism. And so, you know, once you ask for forgiveness and you place your faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, then you demonstrate that by being baptized. It is an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace that places you among the ranks of a church member, like the universal church, the big church, church of Jesus Christ, or the, the Catholic church. We use the little c. Catholic means universal, the universal church. But what we see in the New Testament are letters to churches about how to be a fully functioning church member. I mean, being baptized, man, that's just the beginning of a lifelong journey of being transformed. And so the, the new believers that these letters were being written to, um, upon joining the church, they, they didn't know what the expectations were for, for living in community together. Uh, these New Testament teachings are, are, are just as relevant and necessary today as they were back then. These New Testament letters were written to specific congregations, in some cases specific people, in an effort to help them effectively deal with some of the situations that they were going through at the time. And the reasons they had specific situations that they were going through at the time is because church can be messy. Is that a surprise to anybody? I mean, doing life together, uh, making decisions that affect the whole holding one another accountable, knowing each other's business, trusting one another, relying on one another, trying to stay unified as a body and holy as an individual. I mean, there's a lot going on with those that have submitted and surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to take a closer look at some of these expectations of a follower of Jesus Christ in hopes that it's going to help you make a decision as to whether or not you want to become a member of the vine at Cabot. Uh, someone gave me this little book uh, several years ago. It's called I Am a Church Member. I think it's on the back of your bulletin. You can even scan a, a QR code 
uh, that'll take you to the book. You can purchase that book. Um, We're going to be using this as a guide as we go through this series. It addresses six big issues or areas of what it means to be a church member. The book's widely available. It's online platform, so, so grab you one of those. Um, but as we get to the end of the series, you're going to have an opportunity to join the Vine at Cabot. You're going to receive a, a mail-out with some instructions and more information about all of that. Um, but if you join, then you, you join the ranks of the original members, the founding members of this local congregation. So let me share with you real quick the six topics we're going to be covering, and each Sunday we're going to take a deeper dive into those. So the first one today is um, I will be a functioning church member. And two, I'm going to be a unifying church member. Three, uh, I'm not going to let my church be about my preferences and desires. And four, I'm going to pray for my church leaders. Five, I'm going to lead my family to be healthy church members. And then six, I'm going to treasure church membership as a gift. That's what we're going to be covering. And while this little book, it's a, it's a great guide for us through this series, we really want to know what the Bible says about all of these topics. Because if it's not scriptural, we're just making it up, right? And so we want to make sure that the foundation of our understanding of church membership is from God. And so when Jesus said to his disciples um, that uh, he wanted them to come follow him, you know, hey, follow me. He wasn't just asking them to, to place their faith in him or to believe in him. He was asking them to make a choice, a tough choice. And we make choices every single day as to who we're going to follow or what we're going to follow. We're all following something. We're following our friends. We're following pop culture. We're following money or selfish desires or family or, you know, what? Perhaps even Jesus. Hopefully Jesus, right? And to truly follow Jesus means that we're not following anything else. And that's not as easy as it sounds. And the New Testament doesn't try to sugarcoat it either. Jesus wasn't known for lowering standards or softening the truth. And the truth is that following him leads to difficult choices. Choices that that contradict what we may be feeling or choices that are going to lead us into conflict with the culture. In fact, being a follower of Jesus Christ in the first, second, the third century, even in certain places on the planet today, Um, if you chose to be a follower of Jesus Christ, there was a high probability that that would lead to your death. Let that sink in just for a second. So membership in a church isn't something to be taken lightly. However, here in in a free, affluent America, membership has taken on kind of a different meaning than it used to have. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just a thing, right? It's really good that we've been able to experience a high level of acceptance and tolerance of our faith. But at the same time, we need to be aware and understand that church membership has been shaped by our culture. So what do I mean by that? Well, I mean that um, we see things and we see people and we see organizations and institutions and situations all really through a lens of consumerism and prosperity and comfort, and the American dream, and career advancement, and early retirement, and and that's kind of how we see things. Our culture, and and this has been decades in the making, our culture has shaped us into a people that expect certain things in life. There is a level of entitlement across the board, regardless of socioeconomic status, that exists among all of us. 
I mean, if you go to a restaurant, you expect to be waited on. If you go to the movies, you expect there to be refreshments in the lobby and, and the movie to start on time and the, and the room to be comfortable with the temperature and the chairs. You know? If you stay in a hotel, you expect somebody to bring you clean towels and to make your bed. If you belong to a country club, you expect the pool to be clean and the golf course to be um, well-managed, right? manicured. We have developed a, a serve-me attitude and it, is, and it stands in direct opposition of the call that God has on our life. And while the world feeds our selfish desire, God calls us to put ourselves last by putting other people first. It's the only way life in community will work. There are tons of scriptural references about life in community of the believer, but nobody really offers us a better example than the Apostle Paul. Uh, Paul uses the human body as an illustration of how we should be working together to accomplish God's desire for his church. The church is supposed to be light to a dark world. But in order for us to be that, then we've, we've got to look different. We've got to act different. Um, we've got to think differently. I mean, to put it simply, we, we just got to be different than, than the culture or the world. And so Paul tells us that one person in the church can't say to another person in the church that I don't need you, I don't want you, I don't care for you because our relationship with one another is based on agape love. That's biblical love. That is God's love. And I'll talk more about that in just a minute. But Paul is, is teaching us here how to function as a church member. And it's completely different than what you would expect out in the corporate world or just the world itself of how people should treat one another and act. Um, so this can be found, I'm going to read what he wrote in 1 Corinthians uh, 12, beginning with verse 12. He writes, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong part of the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has... And listen, don't... Oh, open those ears. If you've got them closed, if you already dozed off, wake up. Don't miss verse 18. God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. You are here right now because God created you for a specific purpose and he has a, a plan for your life. God has not called us to freedom in Christ so that we can set the direction and the trajectory of our own lives. God has placed you here at this specific time in history to make a significant impact in his kingdom, for his kingdom. And for that... And we do that by, we fulfill this, this, the will of God for our life in the context of the body of believers, right? It's interesting 
that, that Paul's illustration of the body, you know, working together, leads right into his famous explanation of what love is. Um, we find it in the next chapter, and I'm, I'm sure you've heard it read at weddings before, probably, because it's a great example of how husbands and wives should really love one another. But the original meaning was to demonstrate how church members should relate to one another. So in the, in the original manuscript, before we came in and put chapters and verses, um, Paul didn't start a new, new chapter. He's still talking about how the body of Christ functions, and it does it on the premise of loving one another. So here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 13, beginning with verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. If members of every local congregation lived these principles out, the church would be, without question, the light of the world. People would look at us and go, what is going on with you people? It is the love of God that changes us. Another way of saying that is God's grace transforms us. Serving others in love by using our gifts in some mysterious and divine way, makes us more holy. Did you know that? Serving others helps us become more holy. And isn't that the goal? I mean, isn't that the journey that we're on? The the sanctifying process is a process by which we are becoming more righteous, more Christ-like. And the more Christ-like we become, the more more God-centered we become. When we give our time and our unique gifts that God has given us, when we give that back to God by serving His people, then we become what is called a living sacrifice. And ironically, through our service to one another, we receive the blessing. And and I don't know how to explain that to you, but many of you have already experienced it. You know this to be true. You've had a taste of it. You go on a mission trip to build a house for somebody you don't even know, and somehow your life has changed. Explain that one. You teach a class full of kids how much Jesus loves them, and suddenly you realize how important it is what you're doing. You greet people on a Sunday morning with a smile, and your heart is warmed when that smile gets returned. You give somebody food or grocery money, and it becomes clear why you had a little extra. You help out with packing panthers or you help the church set up and break down every single Sunday and mysteriously you begin to understand how the body of Christ begins to work together and transform your life. You volunteer to help out with a worship service and your spirit gets lifted and your faith grows a little stronger. What you do makes a difference not only to the people that you are serving but also to you as well. And if your attitude is, well... You know, somebody else will do that, or I've done my time, somebody else needs to step up. That that is not an attitude of a functioning church member. That's just an attitude of somebody who goes to church. Someone who doesn't serve or doesn't give, doesn't really participate, doesn't attend on a regular basis, doesn't support or help out. There's a name that's referred to those individuals, and it's called that they're inactive church members. 
However, that concept of inactive church member is an oxymoron. Biblically speaking, there is no such church member. Right? You're either a church member or you're not. You're actively and, and um, functioning like a church member or you're not doing that. And listen, you don't have to, you don't have to be a church member to attend a church. I, I think I speak for every church in town when I say that everybody is welcome. But we also realize that not everybody who shows up on a Sunday is ready to make such a huge commitment because we're asking a lot. Jesus asked a lot. His expectations are high and he demands faithfulness. In fact, he said in Matthew, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. See, true service, Christ-like service is expressed in serving God's people and being willing to do anything, however costly, however messy or undignified it may be. This is what True love is. This is discipleship. This is what taking up your cross looks like. If we want to be a fully functioning church, we've got to be fully functioning church members. And the philosophy really behind serving one another, it's simple. It's, it's because we need each other. We need each other because we are not exempt from the harsh realities of the world. We get illnesses and diseases just like everybody else. We have depression and anger. We lose people that we love. We battle addiction and greed. We overspend. Our marriages aren't perfect. We struggle with self-image and public perception. We lose jobs and businesses. And sometimes we find ourselves in the middle of tragedy. And those are just a few of the reasons why we need each other. And the book of James is really quick to point out that, that authentic faith in Christ will, or at least it should, produce the desire to use your God-given gifts to serve other people. Authentic Christianity will manifest itself in a heartfelt attitude that results in sacrificial action. I mean, we can sit in this room all day long and celebrate what we believe. But until we start living out the principles of our faith, James says, it's a dead faith. Being Christian is not about reciting the proper affirmation of faith or being able to, to repeat a memory verse. It's not about the theology of the words that we sing or the style of liturgy that we use in worship. Being Christian is about expressing God's love to others by humbling ourselves in service to one another and to the world. That's what Christianity is. Using our gifts to build up the body of Christ, to support it and encourage it, to enhance it, improve it, so that we are light to a dark world. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 4, verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. So those are all gifts, spiritual gifts, right? So God gave them to equip his people for good for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we, that's us, that's all of us in this room, the church, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the kingdom of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Why would we want to do that? So that we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there 
by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the love, the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. Who's the head? Jesus Christ. That's how Paul says it. We need to build each other up. See, when we use our gifts, the whole body benefits. And so we need everybody serving. We need everybody functioning, which leads us to our, our first pledge in this series. We'll have one every week. I think it's on the back of your bulletin there. It's in the book as well. We've just taken it out of the book. We put it on the bulletin. Um, and there's, there's our first pledge. If we're going to be a functioning church member, about halfway through it, it says, as a functioning member, I will give, I will serve, I will minister, I will evangelize, I will study, I will seek to be a blessing to others. I will remember that if one member suffers, all members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. None of this is easy to do. Not because it's difficult, but because our spiritual enemy wants us doing something else. So our human nature really is to be selfish, so it doesn't take much to distract us or get us off course, headed in the wrong direction, doing something else, something mindless, something that doesn't mean anything, doesn't have any internal value. It is only by the grace and the power of God that we can become a fully functioning member of the body of Christ. And the work that Jesus did on the cross gives us that grace and gives us that power. And this morning, we celebrate Holy Communion together as a body of believers. And so, would you pray with me real quick as we lead into communion? God, we thank you once again for your word. We thank you for working in our life. We thank you for the cross, the forgiveness of sins. But help us, God, to realize what that that means for our life moving forward. We can't just go back to the world. We've got, to, we've got to burn the plow and move forward with you. And so God, help us to do that this morning. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.